You can turn then with me to our sermon text, which is also on the back of the sermon notes, and that's Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. One verse, but so much to say about this one verse. Chapter 20, verse 12. As we go through the Ten Commandments, uh, we come today to the Fifth Commandment, number five, verse 12. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray for God's blessing upon his word. The Lord, our God, we give thanks to you for your kindness in revealing your will to us, that you have made your ways known and given us your law, and that you have given us salvation, that we might not see it as a judge and a doom hanging over us, but through faith in Jesus Christ, we might see it in a different light, and so delight in it as a light to our feet. We pray that it would be so this day, that you would help us to understand your word and to embrace it in Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. In one way, this commandment uh, begins a second part to the Ten Commandments. Uh, It's the way they've been traditionally divided. The first four uh, direct our love to God, uh, and the last six direct our love to man for God's sake. Of course, all of them are our duty before God, uh, but the first four particularly address our relation directly to God, (coughs) and the other six uh, direct us in our duties uh, towards man as well. Another way of looking at it is that this commandment ends the first part of the Ten Commandments. If if you're looking at the literary style, the first five commandments all contain other statements in addition to duties. Uh, They don't only say, thou shalt do this or that, uh, but they also speak about the Lord our God. Each of these first five commandments have that phrase, the Lord your God. And make statements about him. Again, the Ten Commandments are more than a summary of the moral law, although they are that, Uh, but these also are the words of the covenant that God had made with his people. (coughs) Uh, He commits himself to his people. He affirms that he is the Lord, their God. Today, I want to first talk about the immediate meaning of this commandment, your duty to your parents. Uh, Then secondly, the broader principle of this commandment, uh, your duties as superiors, inferiors, and equals. We'll talk about that more. Uh, Secondly. And then third, the promise that accompanies this commandment. So first, it's it's immediate meaning. Your your duty to your mom and dad, your parents. Uh, Honor your father and your mother. How should we honor father and mother? What does that mean? Well, first, let's just begin with honor. First of all, honor them. (laughs) Um, At its root, the command to honor your father and your mother binds you to an attitude of respect and humility. You give them weight. Uh, You do not treat them lightly. Leviticus 19.3 repeats this command, but instead of honor, it uses the word fear uh, in the sense of, you know, to revere them. Uh, 
This is an attitude of reverence that, that does not treat parents lightly or casually. The same chapter goes on to apply this principle more broadly to one's elders and places it in parallel with our fear of God, saying, you shall stand up before the gray head and honor the face of an old man, and you shall fear your God, I am the Lord. So different ways of describing honor. Notice that it connects honor with physical acts that demonstrate honor. It's an attitude of the heart, but it also expresses itself in words and gestures. Do you know that when King Solomon was king of Israel, that when his mother came to see him, he, the king of Israel, rose from his throne and bowed to her and had a seat placed for her, placing, him, uh, placing her at his right. He showed honor to his mother, even though he was the king. Our gestures of honor might vary from culture to culture, but this attitude of honor should be tangibly expressed by our words and by our gestures. Uh, in other words, not rolling your eyes. You know, we have other gestures that communicate dishonor, uh, and, and that would be the reverse. So show honor. Um, second way to show honor is to, to show obedience. The command to honor parents is quoted by the Apostle Paul to support his command. Uh, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right, in Ephesians 6. Uh, the exhortation to obedience is also found in Colossians 3.20. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Sorry, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Now, notice also that Paul is addressing children. Children, you're included in the church. Paul's, the, God's word is speaking to you, but here's a special word for you. Obey your parents. Uh, one way to honor parents is to do what they tell you to do. And now, this is particularly binding on children, uh, those under their parents' authority at home. Um, if you look in Ephesians, for example, it's, it, it, the converse of this is, is fathers raise up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So those who are being brought up you know, ought to be obeying their parents. Uh, children, you must obey your parents in the Lord, as long as they're not commanding you to sin against God. Uh, Paul says, God's word says, in everything. As Paul says in Galatians, the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. Uh, he's in, his, uh, in that condition. Uh, but as the child reaches adulthood, he should receive greater freedom and responsibility. Now, there are positive examples in the Bible of adult children obeying their parents, such as the sons of Jonadab in Jeremiah 35. But this took place when adult children remained in their father's household. That was a common arrangement then because it was to their advantage, a lot of advantages to staying in the household, and then it grew to be a clan and then to be a tribe. Uh, they, while they were within the household, they were supposed to obey the father or the chieftain. Of course, as they grew older and as it grew bigger, it became more like a political rule. Uh, not quite the same rule, but there was, there was an authority structure there. But it was not an obligatory arrangement. Uh, there are various examples in Scripture of children leaving that arrangement. Sometimes it went well. Sometimes it went very poorly. Um, but it was an option. Abraham left his father's house. Jacob left his father's house. And then he left his father-in-law's house. Uh, Judah left his father for a time. Ruth did not return to her father's house. The prodigal son left his father 
course, that would be an example of when it did not go well. But one way to honor father and mother, especially when living at home with them, is to obey them. Obey them. Thirdly, how to honor father and mother is by internalizing their commands. Part of that transition from the obedience of a young child and the honor given by an adult child is the internalization of the parent's commands and instructions. The Bible exhorts children not only to obey their parents' commandments, but also to take them to heart and to adopt them and to make them your own. So you're not continually dependent on your parents dictating every portion of your life that they uh, can see that you are becoming mature. Uh, Proverbs 6 says, My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. Now, this passage clearly reflects Deuteronomy 6-7, which was addressed to the, to the parents. But here it's addressed to the children. As you walk by the way, as you lie down, even after you've left your parents, those words, may they still remain within you. And they will guide you as you get up and you lie down and you go around. It's assumed with that connection that this parental instruction is based on God's word, not, not anything, uh, not contrary to God's word, for example. But as long as it does not conflict with scripture, there is a duty to humbly receive what is taught, to hold fast to what is good, and to make it your own, to be teachable, and to lay it to heart. The greatest joy of a godly parent is to see their children walking in truth and wisdom, not merely because the parent tells them to do so, but because it has become part of their character. Fourthly, way to honor father and mother is by seeking counsel. <clears throat> Whatever your age, uh, you, this is a way to show honor to father and mother, to seek and prize the counsel of parents. Now, it should not be done as a replacement for internalizing the commands and growing in character, uh, but neither should the greater independence of an adult child prevent him from seeking and listening to counsel. Proverbs 23, like we read in verse 22, said, Listen to your father who gave you life, and do not despise your mother when she is old. Even when she is old, she may have some wise words for you to consider and benefit from. Why? Uh, why should you listen? Because wisdom and counsel is valuable. By truth and instruction, it's as valuable stuff. You need all the help you can get. That's Proverbs exhortation. Buy truth and do not sell it. Your parents' counsel should be treasured and given weight. This shows honor for those who gave you life. And that obligation does not cease when they and you uh, get older. You should seek your parents' counsel, even uh, having become an adult, regarding finding a spouse. And in normal circumstances, you should only get married with their consent and blessing. It's one particular area. A fifth way to honor father and mother is by covering disgrace. There are limits to this. It doesn't require you to be dishonest or to hide crimes which ought to be reported or things of that sort, but it does mean that you should refrain to speaking to others of what brings shame or embarrassment to your parents unless it is necessary. Genesis 9, for example, tells of how Noah, after the flood, planted a vineyard. 
And he became drunk with its wine, and he lay naked in his tent. Ham disgraced his father by looking at his father, leaving him in that state, and going to talk to others about it. Shem and Japheth honored their father by doing the reverse, by covering their father's nakedness, walking backwards so that they would not even look upon it. Ham uh, would be rebuked by his father for what he did, but Shem and Ham would be honored. So cover disgrace. Uh, sixth, sixth way to honor father and mother is by caring for elderly parents. A very important part of the command to honor parents is the care of the elderly. In fact, on that day at Mount Sinai, this application might have first jumped to the people's minds, as, of course, uh, many of them listening would have been adults, but still have parents uh, and uh, perhaps had them still alive. Just as parents are responsible to care for their children when their children are incapable of caring for themselves, so children are responsible for caring for their parents when their parents are less capable of caring for themselves. This can take different forms depending on the situation. Uh, Depending on the situation, your parents might be in their own home, in your home, in your siblings' home, in a senior living home, but you must not neglect them in any case, Uh, but work with your siblings to see that they are well provided for, both financially and relationally, uh, that you remain uh, connected with them. Do not abandon them. To ignore this responsibility, Paul says in 1 Timothy, is to be worse than an unbeliever. Jesus asserted this aspect of the commandment in Matthew 15, which we read. He condemned the Pharisees for excusing people, giving them an out from this responsibility by claiming that what they would have given to their parents was given unto God. That's not what God wanted. He wanted obedience. He wanted them to honor their father and their mother. Stick to the word, not your own inventions. When Jesus was hanging from the cross, one of the words that he gave was to care for his mother, entrusting John with the responsibility of care for his mother. He said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Lastly, seventhly, way to honor father and mother is to receive your heritage. And now this really could describe several of the things already mentioned. Your parents give you many things. Life, language, customs, Instruction, wisdom, possessions, commands, culture, particular gifts and skills, uh, and much more. I honor them by receiving that heritage that you've received and building upon it. Make the most of it. Some receive more than others. Some have better parents than others. Uh, But build upon whatever you have been given. Discard what is foolish and ungodly, but improve your inheritance. Build upon whatever good things they have given you. They have given you a start, uh, so do not reject it and try to start all over, but work with what you have. There is wisdom in, in getting ahead by embracing the good that your parents have given you. Even when your parents are unbelievers, your family's heritage is to be reformed and perfected, not obliterated, just as you yourself were not to be obliterated, but to be sanctified. All of us are part of a multi-generational project which includes receiving and respecting and reforming and giving. We entered into this world naked, but not into a naked world. 
as uh, Rashtuni said. It's been full of good things that prior generations have already prepared for us. Wells you did not dig and houses you did not build. And so we should honor uh, those who have come before us and our parents in particular. And so that's speaking particularly to your parents. A lot of these principles, though, apply more generally. And that brings us to our second point, my second point. Observe your duties generally as superiors, inferiors, and equals, borrowing their language from our catechisms, from the, especially the larger catechism. The principle of the fifth commandment extends beyond honoring your natural parents. The principle is extended in two ways. First, it's extended to other superiors beyond your parents. And second, it's extended to duties that are reciprocal, that parents also have a duty to their children, um, superiors to inferiors. Not only do children have the duty to honor their parents, but parents have duty to their children. So our larger catechism explains, quote, that the general scope of the fifth commandment is the performance of those duties which we mutually owe in our several relations as inferiors, superiors, or equals. Now, what's the biblical basis for this? Well, in part, it's because you have all these instructions in Scripture, and they would fall under this head, but also because Scripture itself uses the language of mother and father and applies them more broadly. It calls other people's mother and father who are not literally your mother and your father. It calls our ancestors, our fathers. It calls the elderly, treat them as a father in 1 Timothy 5. Skilled advisors, like Joseph was a father to Pharaoh. Uh, to, to masters, you know, Naaman is called by his servants, my father. Uh, to preachers, prophets and preachers and teachers are called fathers. Kings and queens are called nursing fathers and, and nursing mothers to the church in Isaiah 49. Even one's own city or country, including the city of God, the church, are called your mother. And so you have this similar responsibility to honor them. Now, patriotism is a form of filial piety, uh, an extension of the fifth commandment. Uh, superiors in general ought to be honored similar to the way we honor father and mother. So our larger catechism says, by father and mother in the fifth commandments are meant not only natural parents, but all superiors in age and gifts, and especially such as by God's ordinance, are over us in place of authority, whether in family, church, or commonwealth. So these, they're superiors with authority, they're superiors without authority. Um, superiors without authority, superiors in age and gifts. Superiors in age would mean people older than you. Um, As the authority of your parents recedes, as their children grow or move out, they do remain this kind of superior. Uh, And among those older to you, your parents and your ancestors, those who are yours, should have particular weight uh, with you. Now, at the same time as the Westminster Confession of Faith, uh, we have a description of using the same terminology. It might help unpack this category from James Usher. Uh, He he describes superiors without authority as superiors in age or gifts, and specifies gifts such as gifts of the body, like strength and beauty, or of the mind as wit or learning, or an outward estate as wealth and nobility, or in sex, uh, where he said the man is generally above the woman, or in skill, or in graces and virtue, Now, obedience is not required to these superiors, nor should 
these superiors without authority act like they did have authority and get to boss people around. But it is your duty to acknowledge these age and gifts without envy, with honor and deferential respect, uh, to express this in the way you speak. And of course, for those superiors in age or gifts to use this for the good of others. Uh, to whom much is given, much is required. If you have a skill, use it for the glory of God and the good of others. It might seem unfair to put the men generally above the women, but this is also why we would say women and children first, as the, on the sinking ship, or why men get sent out to war, to use that strength for the good of others. Of course, you might be someone superior in one respect, and that person your superior in a different respect. It's wrong, for example, to ignore a woman's skills that might be better than yours simply because she's a woman, or to ignore the wisdom of a wise man just because he's poor, or for a young pastor like Timothy to ignore the respect due those older than him just because he's a pastor, or like we saw for King Solomon to ignore the honor due his mother just because he was the king. It gets complicated, and you need wisdom. Now, superiors with authority would include masters, teachers, husbands, managers, elders, authorities in the commonwealth, and more precisely, your husband, your managers, your elders, your etc. Those who are uh, over you in family, church, state, etc. Honor and obedience is owed to them. And so let me go through a few of these relationships, trying to summarize what scripture says. We've already looked at the duties of children to parents. Well, parents have duty to children. They have a duty to not provoke their children to anger or demoralize them, but to raise their children up to maturity in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, to teach God's word diligently to them, to provide for them, to protect them, to pray for and with them, to help their children find callings and spouses as they reach adulthood, to love them, to set a good example for them. Another relationship is that of husband and wife. Now, Husbands are never called fathers in this respect. They are a different kind of relation in some ways, closer to an equality than parents and child, but they all are described often in the same breath as these other types of relationships in the epistles. Husband and wife are both adults and are bound together as one flesh. A husband should respect his wife and not despise her abilities and insight, but the husband is the head of his wife and has authority and responsibility in this marriage relationship. And so husbands have a duty to love and care for their wives as Christ loves and cares for his church, to nourish their wives as their own body, to protect and provide for them, to lead them in the ways of Christ, to show them understanding and honor as the weaker vessel. Wives have a duty to submit to their husbands as the church submits to Christ, to revere their husbands, to love their husbands, to show honor to their husbands in their speech and behavior as Sarah obeyed Abraham and called him Lord, to be faithful helpers to their husbands, workers at home who build up the home by their industry and wisdom. Another relationship is that of what used to be called masters and servants. We might apply it to similar relationships in the workplace. Of course, Today, we have greater freedom than the slaves of the ancient world, although even in the ancient world, this language could cover a variety of relationships. Today, we have voluntary relationships in the workplace, but there are still chains of command, some workers under the oversight and direction of others. 
And those in charge should treat those under them justly and fairly, not ruthlessly, and giving them good and helpful directions and counsels, keeping things running and in good order. Employees should honor those who are above them, whether or not they are believers. There's temptations both ways. Oh, he's a believer. I can get away with stuff because he's going to be tolerant with me. Don't, don't take advantage of your employer being a Christian. And also, don't despise the unbeliever. Like, oh, he's an unbeliever. Now I don't have to listen to him uh, either way. Follow the directions, not by way of eye service, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord, not defrauding uh, your employer of your labors. Another relationship is that of elders and the congregation. Christ has appointed a government in his church. He has appointed ministers of the word, and he's joined with them other elders from the church. He's given them for the church's oversight and discipleship and growth and maturity. This government exists on a local level and on a regional level, indeed throughout his visible church. So pastors and elders have a duty to shepherd the flock of God, to exercise oversight, to protect it from false doctrine and practice, to promote its growth and spiritual maturity, to seek the lost, to bring back the strayed, to bind up the injured, to strengthen the weak, to discipline the stubborn. Elders who are ministers of the word have a particular duty to continually preach the word, to feed the flock by preaching and teaching the whole counsel of God from the scriptures and administering the sacraments. Now, Christians have a duty, and I would even say elders and pastors too, because we have other elders and pastors we're accountable to, but all Christians have a duty to obey their church leaders and to submit to them, for they're keeping watch over your souls, to remember them and to imitate their faith, to maintain the ministry of the word financially, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. A lot of this is simply repeating scripture uh, in, in the words that he uses. Another relationship is that of civil government and the people. God has ordained a government over society. Civil government is an ordinance of God. And those authorities that exist have been instituted by God. The civil magistrate is God's servant for your good, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Civil authorities have a duty to rectify injustice by the power of the sword, to restrain wickedness in society, to maintain justice, peace, and piety according to the wholesome laws of each commonwealth, to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good, to protect the church of Christ as its nursing fathers, and to wage war upon just and necessary occasion. Of course, different officers have different duties. Some make laws, some decide cases, some enforce and implement laws, but each to these ends. Now, the people have a duty, too, to honor those in authority, to submit to all their lawful commands, both to avoid God's wrath at their hands, but also for conscience sake even if the government would never know. To govern themselves so that the civil authority does not need to intervene in your life. To be a good citizen. To pay taxes to them as God's ministers and to pray for them. Do not revile or curse a ruler of your people, but show respect and speech and behavior. 
there are ways to correct bad laws and abuses of power, uh, but that must be done without imitating their evil and lawlessness, without casting off God's ordinance of civil government, but by recourse to legal remedies, the courts, appeals to higher authorities, interposition in some cases by lower magistrates and other political authorities, such as assemblies of the people's representatives, or the normal process of elections and legislation is normally the course that that takes. And so these are some of these relationships, and all of them we could summarize the duty of inferiors to superiors as that of honor. Honor your father and your mother, and honor all these other fathers and mothers uh, that we might have in society. Now, not all relationships are those of inferiors and superiors. You also have relationships with equals. Um, Although our catechism doesn't say as much about that relationship, but it does address that. Uh, Equals must regard the dignity and worth of each other and not usurp preeminence uh, over one another. So here's summarizing uh, scripture says on these areas, uh, and I want to give due credit, otherwise I might just be accused of plagiarizing the Bible, right? <laughs> this is scripture, it's teaching. Thirdly, let us consider the promise. Remember the promise. This is a commandment with a promise, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Notice this promise is actually expanded in Deuteronomy's version. On the back of your sermon insert, in Deuteronomy's version, it says that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Not only a long life, but a good life, too. Now, first of all, God is reaffirming that he is the Lord their God and that he's giving them this land. But secondly, he promises that their days will be long and that it will go well with with them if they honor their father and their mother. Proverbs points out the reverse is true. It will not go well with you, and your days will not be long if you do not honor your father and your mother. The eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by the vultures. It's Proverbs thirty seventeen. It's rather grim. Paul repeats the promise in Ephesians. Chapter 6, verse 3, as applicable and valid for New Covenant believers, too, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land, or could be translated, in the earth. Uh, Here it doesn't mention the land that the Lord your God is giving to you because uh, we do not, the, the mentioning of the land of Canaan in particular was something that lasted only till the coming of Christ. Now, uh, the kingdom is inheriting the whole world, spreading throughout the earth. As Calvin says, but, but as the same divine blessing is extended to the whole world, Paul has properly left out the mention of a place, the particular distinction of which lasted only till the coming of Christ. So it's still valid, still valid promise. God has temporal promises as well as uh, eternal ones uh, in the gospel. As Paul says in 1 Timothy 4, 8, godliness holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. And so our shorter catechism affirms this. The reason annexed to the fifth commandment is a promise of long life and prosperity as far as it shall serve for God's glory and their own good to all as keep 
this commandment? Do you want it to go well with you in your life? Do you want to have a long life? Uh, Then honor your father and your mother. A blessed long life is given to the godly as an expression and token of God's favor and love. And here it's linked to the fifth commandment in particular. Some places in scripture it's it's connected to all the commandments in general. Uh, His ways are good ways. And he graciously rewards sincere obedience through the mediation of Christ, as imperfect as our obedience may be. Now, certainly there are exceptions. Some rebellious folk do enjoy long and prosperous lives, and there are honorable children who do not. The conundrum is not unique to the New Testament, something that you see in the Old Testament as well. First of all, those are exceptions, that's not the norm. It's not what you should be expecting. Uh, It's not the normal way it goes. Secondly, the wicked who do not, uh, who seem to prosper, do not enjoy a truly blessed life at peace with God, and their prosperity will shortly end. And third, God still does good in his wisdom to the godly ones whom he gives trials, or whom he takes to himself early perhaps sparing them from evils that would have come upon them, but in any case, making them holy and happy with him. But if you want to do well in life, if you want to have a good life and a long life, which would only be the beginning of an eternal life, hold fast to Jesus Christ, and as his uh, disciple, learn to observe his commandments, like this one. Trust the Lord and honor your father and your mother. The Lord delights to bless this obedience, and his command fits his design for this world. You will not gain eternal life by obeying this commandment, but under his fatherly tuition and guidance, he approves and rewards that which is good in his sight. Proverbs tells you at length the benefit of heeding instruction and honoring parents, the danger of neglecting their commands and counsels. Now, in conclusion, I would be remiss if I did not exhort you to honor the most important father of all, the Father Almighty, our Father who is in heaven. God said in Malachi 1, A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If them I am a father, where is my honor? If I am a master, where is my fear? God in his mercy graciously adopts his children. He graciously adopts all those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, not on the basis of their works, but on the basis of his grace, and forgives them and welcomes them. All who place their trust in the Savior are adopted by God and then transformed more and more into the likeness of their Father. Your Father is compassionate towards you, as a father, as a father who spares his son who serves him. He is compassionate. Your father disciplines you in love as a father and will not let you go astray and do whatever you want because he cares for you. The Lord God is your father and disciplines you as a father. As Deuteronomy says, the Lord your God carries you as a man carries his son. Therefore, honor your father who is in heaven. Honor him in your attitude in your words, in your works, obeying and internalizing his commands, listening to his word. And do not 
neglect the gifts that he has given you for your good. Your fathers and mothers, natural, metaphorical, for he delights to bless his children. Join with me in prayer. O Lord God, we give thanks to you for your kindness to us in giving us an instruction and means for our growth. We pray that you would equip all parents among us to follow through on this charge and responsibility to raise up their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We pray, Father, for all of us as children of our parents, whether our children, our, our parents uh, be uh, living with us or, uh, or not, or living or dead, uh, that uh, whether they are old or young, that you would help us to honor them as is fitting. We pray that you would uh, indeed stir us up both to a fulfilling of this commandment among our fellow men, but also that we would honor you above all, our Father who is in heaven, the Father Almighty. We thank you for bringing us near to you by your grace, and so we rest upon you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.